the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a blessed uh, Saturday and wonderful week. Uh, we uh, welcome you to a brand new show uh, in our uh, third season uh, of Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi. So thank you so much for uh, blessing us um, to stay on the air and to be able to continue uh, this streak, basically. Um, uh, we hope that this will continue for many, many years to come. Uh, today's topic uh, really is uh, a very important one, obviously, in light of the election, the results and everything else. There's uh, many people out there that are concerned, of course, about uh, immigration and many immigrants, of course, are wondering what might happen to them. And, uh, of course, there is the issue about um, um, some people that might be allowed to come in and others that may not be allowed to come in and so many other things. And, of course, my Muslim people are in the midst of all of that, of course, usually. Nevertheless, I'm going to address today's topic uh, in relationship to our biblical attitude. That's all I want to talk about. Um, you know, we're not the government. Uh, we, however, pray for our leaders. Uh, we, uh, uh, you know, we, we trust that God... Uh, uh, made the right choice for the nation, uh, that uh, he himself uh, obviously is sovereign, uh, he's in control. Uh, our job as believers is to always, um, uh, you know, uh, be uh, with God and his program, and at the same time, uh, our, we are the conduit to fulfill his purposes, and one of that is that uh, we would pray for our leaders, of course, for peace, uh, for wisdom, and uh, part of that, of course, is the issue of immigration. And I want to know from the Bible, what is uh, uh, the Bible teaching me as a follower of Christ uh, to do in terms of how I ought to treat immigrants? I mean, this is a deep topic, by the way. I wouldn't do it justice by saying I can cover it in the next 20, 25 minutes. But nevertheless, you know, let's take a shot at at least a generic approach here. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, for instance, uh, there were different uh, titles given to um, uh, aliens, if you wish, sojourners, uh, immigrants, foreigners. Uh, one of those is Ger. And um, this particular one, uh, by the way, uh, could be uh, translated as a sojourner, a foreigner, an immigrant, a resident alien, a stranger. But... Um, uh, you know, it's not the same uh, as uh, someone who is just a, uh, someone who immigrated uh, only uh, and has an immigrant status. It's much deeper than that, of course. It talks about those who will give allegiance, of course, to uh, not just the Israelites, but to the God of the Israelites. 
And, um, you know, one of the passages that talk about treating those sojourners uh, in, uh, in the Scripture that is a powerful passage uh, comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 to 34, which deals really with, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, our attitude towards those uh, who are strangers among us. And, um, you know, the passage starts by saying this, and Leviticus 19 obviously is known as the Holiness Code chapter, uh, where God says, Be holy, for I am uh, the Lord your God is holy. And Peter also quoted from that in reference to the church and the believers. Uh, this particular verse states the following. This is Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34. Notice God's basically um, instructions to us on how we ought to treat strangers in our land. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I think this is very powerful. If you look at how God basically is instructing us to treat foreigners or sojourners in our land, first he's asking us to treat them as uh, humans, just like us. And, and then he elevated that to treat them as equal to us in terms of the rights as native among us. In fact, the Hebrew word for native has to do with planting something. It's almost like you would plant something in a foreign soil now, and you need to nurture that plant in order for that to regrow again and become as if it's a native plant in that particular land. And then... From there, the Lord says, treat them as humans, then treat them as equal to you in terms of rights. And now he bumps it up to making him ahead of ourselves by saying, and you shall love him as yourself. You know, literally, yeah, you, you ought to really consider that person to be you, basically. And uh, that's where the challenge is. You know, sometimes it's easier for us to uh, just humanistically speak and to love people and to care for them and have causes for them and to try to fight for them. And even it's easier to even fight for the rights and many blessings that we have here in this great nation that we can also fight that others should enjoy these rights. But I bet it is a little bit harder to try to love someone who is even a foreigner to your culture, your race, um, comes from a different language uh, uh, people group, uh, come from a different cultural people group. Nevertheless, that you ought to love that particular individual as you love yourself. The Lord actually made it very clear to us that this is exactly the attitude that we ought to have towards our neighbor. In fact, the marks of the Christian, in fact, I remember hearing this uh, uh, allegedly from Francis Schaeffer in one of his writings, uh, that someone was preaching about that, that there are three marks of a Christian, that you love one another. And that's the new covenant, basically. Loving one another, a new command, I should say, the Lord was given us in John 13. This is a new command I give you, he says. And in John uh, 13, starting from verses 33 to uh, 37, he talks there about loving one another, for by this the, the world will know that you are my disciples, he says. And on top of that, he says... Love your neighbor as yourself. That's another mark. You know, in fact, he summed up the law by these two commands, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. You can read this, for instance, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 39 
and 40. And then he elevated it also to loving your enemies, and that's in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, verse 44. And what's interesting about that is the word, really, the Greek word for hospitality is theleo xenos. It's two words. The phileo, or, uh, which is one of the many Greek words used for love, and this one is the brotherly love. Well, that's where we get the word Philadelphia from, for instance. And then the xenos is a reference to the stranger. That's where we get the phrase xenophobic, you know, someone who doesn't like strangers, for instance. But what is interesting is that the Bible uses this usually, this phrase, phileo xenos, meaning loving strangers, as a, the term for hospitality to how we ought to treat those who are different as strangers, immigrants, and uh, um, those uh, who are basically uh, strangers, sojourners in our land, and so, uh, so on and so forth. In other words, these are our guests, if you wish. In fact, in uh, Romans uh, 13, in Romans chapter 13, there is the talk about practicing hospitality. And in there, um, you know, there are some instructions. In fact, Romans 12, of course, talks about that as well. But uh, nevertheless, uh, it's the idea uh, between Romans 12 all the way to Romans 13. You see that there is instructions about hospitality and uh, treatment, uh, you know, towards others, but it's really uh, evident in Romans 12, for instance, and I'm going to try to find that passage for you real quickly here. In Romans 12, of course, after Peter, uh, I mean, uh, the Apostle Paul laid out the need for Christ and the difference between the law and uh, the, uh, the grace and how we are saved by grace, basically, and our need for a Savior and why the law could, could not save us. And, uh, that there is no condemnation anymore for us, and that we are now in peace with God, and how we ought to be sanctified. Nevertheless, he moves on to talk about Israel, of course, in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And then we get to chapter 12, and now he talks about the attitude of the church, and there it starts by this famous, uh, basically, passage saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed, he said, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And it's really a, a powerful entry to the gifts of grace that this particular chapter begins to talk about to us as believers and the marks of those true believers. And of course, in here, it is clear that we are no longer in control of our thoughts and our attitudes. We are presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, meaning that day in and day out, we are sacrificing ourselves to be acceptable to God according to the will of God, doing the things that are good and acceptable and perfect to God. Okay? And part of that is to transform also our minds. And, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I go to uh, churches where I, I sense that some believers are really concerned about sojourners or 
aliens and uh, out of fear. Uh, and they get the information from the wrong places, usually, uh, media and so on and so forth, rather than going to the Word of God and seeing that God has a purpose for those who are living in the midst of believers around us. And therefore, we, in order for us to change our mind and attitude, we ought to be transformed. And this word transformed, by the way, it's exactly the same word that was used also, or at least the same, uh, basically, um, uh, you know, sense that was used at uh, Matthew 17 in the Mount Transfiguration when the Lord was transformed before the very eyes of the apostles who were with him at the top of that mountain, and they saw him in full glory. So, in other words, you got to be really changed completely. But then, this particular passage in Romans 12 was the entry to what to come. Here are now the gifts of grace and the marks of true Christianity. And part of that is that you ought to practice hospitality. Now, I would read that to you, starting from verse 3, for instance, says, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, meaning many believers, are one body in Christ and individually, members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he begins to tell you what are those different gifts that are basically um, given to us. So, uh, you know, the, the, the Word of God basically uh, is very powerful when it comes to teaching us about how we ought to practice those gifts of grace that are given to us. Then he moves on um, into the next section in uh, Romans 12, starting from verse 9, and gives us marks of the true Christian. Example, um, let love be genuine, abhor, uh, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. You know, here you have the word also, uh, phileo, basically. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, he says. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. I think speaking to the church right now, be constant in prayer. Speaking to all of us as believers. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Notice, hospitality is another word where the word phileo was mentioned here. But here, loving strangers as well. So, what does that mean? Well, even though the word was used in reference to strangers, believe it or not, actually, uh, some of the signs also of uh, you know elders, and especially in uh, in First Timothy chapter five, it talks about that uh, widows who receive financial support from the early church actually needed to have a reputation of what loving strangers and immigrants. Isn't that amazing that this hospitality, love it, and caring for those who sojourn uh, among us was one of the key distinctions that if someone wants to receive support from the church, that they ought to show that, have that kind of reputation in order for them to qualify. But here's another thing that is even more interesting. 
In some of the nations in those days, um, at least, uh, the word was used instead of at least reference to strangers, meaning xenos, instead of reference to strangers, was actually used to apply to enemies. In other words, they were looking at that and say, those strangers are our enemies because they don't come from the same background as we are. Uh, They do not really look the same like us. They don't speak like us. And historically, the word was also used in reference to enemies. It's no wonder then the Lord was saying, you've heard it says, love your neighbors, but hate your enemy. But I tell you the truth. He said, but I tell you, love your enemies. In other words, the same word, love your enemies and pray for those who persecuted you. In other words, strangers and sojourners are part of that. So some might consider them to be enemies, as unfortunately we hear all the time, that just because this particular group comes from that particular uh, you know, a background, uh, then uh, they, they must be our enemies. They, 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 maybe they have an agenda. Well, that's not what the Scripture talks about. God knows the heart of man. By the way, I mean, here's a newsflash. Uh, the heart of man is actually desperately wicked. Okay? Uh, you know, we are all have hearts of wickedness. If it wasn't for the grace of God and His power, the Holy Spirit, to change that heart into a heart that is of flesh now, that has feelings in it, to be reckoned back to life. If it wasn't for that, we all qualify. So, this is what the Scripture is teaching us about our attitude towards those who sojourn among us. Now, let me take it a step further. There is a number of the Mosaic laws back in the Old Testament also that dealt with how uh, the Israelites and the people of God have to treat these sojourners. For instance, um, you have, for instance, Exodus 12, verse 49, as an example, the same law, I'm reading the Net Bible translation, the same law will apply to the person who is native-born and to the foreigner who lives among you. In other words, there are obligations and punishments, and the sojourners who live among you qualify for those. Any person who eats an animal that has died of natural causes or an animal torn by bees, whether a native citizen or a foreigner, must wash his cloth. See, these are sojourners or foreigners that pledge an allegiance to the God of Israel. Why? Well, they were around the people of Israel, and obviously they noticed how the people of Israel treated God and how they worshipped him. This is exactly what God has in mind for sojourners when they are around the believers, that the believers be that aroma that will awaken those people to become uh, intrigued by the God of the church, our true God, by our Christ to follow him. So God has purposes for these people. Let us be mindful of that. In fact, uh, in, uh, Acts, in Acts chapter 17, the purpose of God for those who are sojourners around us becomes even more clear if, in fact, during the sermon in Athens, this is what Paul was saying in the Arabicus. Uh, Paul, standing in the midst of the Arabicus, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Okay? That's what he was preaching. And then he gets to verse 24 and says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. In verse 26, he says now, that's what I want you to pay attention to, and he made from one man, that is Adam, 
He made from one man every nation of mankind. In fact, the, the word nation, you could translate that. He made from one man, which basically is reference to Adam, every family of the earth. Okay, every family. To live where, he says? He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Brothers and sisters, the earth belongs to God. And God has every reason and every right to decide who lives where. In fact, that's the next passage. Now, that's what it says. It says, having determined, meaning God determined allotted periods, how long, and the boundaries where of their dwelling place. Notice, God decides where these sojourners will go, where they ought to live, for how long, and what specific boundaries will surround them that they should seek God. Notice the purpose of God now, why he does this with sojourners or immigrants or aliens. He does this, he moves them from one place to another to dwell over the face of all the earth and he determined where exactly they're going to live and for how long so that they should seek him. That's number one. And perhaps feel their way towards him. That's number two. And find him. Number three. Seek God. Feel their way towards God. And find God. This is the purpose of God for anyone that he is moving around from one place to another. So don't think for a second that God is really shocked or surprised when the Syrian refugees are flocking towards the West. Don't be surprised if God determines who goes to Germany and who goes to France, and who goes to the Netherlands, and who goes to the U.S., don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if God decides that some of them will live in this town in the U.S. and that town in the U.S. And don't be surprised if God decides some of them are to live there for the rest of their life, others are to live there for a month, and others are to live there for a couple of years. God is in charge and in control. It is His will that is pleasing that is um, acceptable, that is good, that is perfect, that these people who are relatives to us because we all come from the same one man, Adam, we are all related to one another in humanity, uh, these people that the Scripture says that we ought to treat them as natives among us and we ought to love them as we love ourselves, it is through this that they now can seek the true God. It is now that the word perhaps feel their way towards him, meaning to touch, to touch him. That's the literal Greek translation of that word, to feel. How can they touch God if we touch their life? And as a result of this, they find him. Same thing happened to me. I'm born and raised in Saudi. I come from a country that is considered to be the heartland of Islam. I thought I knew the true God when I was there. I worshipped that. I thought I worshipped the true God. I went to Mecca and I prayed many times and I always bragged about the fact that I would do more religious things than many of my friends and colleagues and family. And I thought I was definitely on the right path. But God sent me to the U.S. And it was the lifestyle of believers who surrounded me, their love towards me, their care for me, their prayer for me their truth that they shared with me about the gospel and how they even practiced the word that they were preaching to me. Nevertheless, it was through all of that my life was touched by that 
and I find the true, I found the true God. And the same thing applies to those that the Lord is sending towards us. So, brothers and sisters, I really leave you with this. If you've been joining us right now, by the way, you've been listening to Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi. And uh, we've been talking about the biblical teaching about sojourners, and this is just kind of like a brief overview. This is a deep topic. So I want to leave you as believers with this exhortation. Search the Word of God and see for yourself who are these sojourners and what is God's purposes for them. In fact, in the Scripture, you notice all the time that God places the sojourners with the same class of people all the time. He places them among those who are Orphans, widows, and fatherless, and the poor. Because God looks at them at the same way he looks at that class of people. May God use you in the life of those sojourners so that they may come to know him as the only true God and Savior in Christ Jesus. Amen. Have a blessed day. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.